Hebrews chapter 13, we're going to start reading from verse 20. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20. Remember the context is, this is the end of the epistle. This is the last words that, that uh, the epistle writer is going to leave with these people that are going to go through great persecution to try to convince them to not fall back into Judaism, denying the faith in Jesus Christ. The last things that he's saying to them is this, in verse 20. Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So he says, now the God of peace. We looked last week out of Matthew chapter 11. The last couple of verses of Matthew chapter 11 where Jesus says that that, uh, uh, we can go and we can get His peace. Now I want to look at this, this next thought. He says, now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep. This bringing up from the dead, he's speaking again of the resurrection. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says, the most important thing is that Christ died for our sins, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. That is the most important thing, is is that He was born, that He lived a life, He died, and He rose from the dead. The resurrection. And then he says... He brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep. And so when I saw that, I said, let me leave with the students because I know many of you are going into finals. For those of you that are beyond uh, uh, school or beyond finals, sometimes you're you're in graduate school and after your first year, you you really don't have exams the same way sometimes. You have have, uh, oral exams or things like that, but it's just not the same. So for those of you going through this, what I want to do is I want to teach you how to draw upon the great shepherd of the sheep. I want to teach you how to do this because there's times in people's lives when we go through great pressure, when we go through great things, and we want to be able to learn to extract truth from the Word of God. To be able to extract truth from the Word of God. To be able to pick up the Scriptures and have it minister to us. I see this all the time because this is what I teach. This is the way I speak. That you learn to take the Scriptures and you say, Lord, speak to me. Speak to me from Your Word. And I meet people all the time and I get emails from around the world where people say they heard my messages and they, they started doing this. And like, this is amazing. God speaks to me through the Scriptures. So let's turn to the, the portion about this great shepherd. Turn to, to Psalm 23. Psalm 23. So we're going to take this classic portion... And we're going to learn from this portion how to hear from the shepherd. How to extract truth from the shepherd. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters. He restores my soul. So what you do is you take this word and you say, The Lord is my shepherd. And you reflect upon it. Think about this. The Lord, the creator of the universe, is my shepherd. 
Lord, aren't, aren't you busy with many other things? You know, you have famines and plagues and all these things going on. But he says, the Lord is my shepherd. It's about, he's looking at me. He's looking at you. You take this word and you sow it as a part of your life. This is what the scriptures tell us. The scriptures are our life. Moses says in Deuteronomy chapter 32, he says, he says that in Deuteronomy chapter 2, uh, uh, verse 45 through 47, he says, the scriptures are our life. This word is our life. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Think about having this position in life. Think about this. That there is nothing that you want that you don't already have. And this is in many ways the way I feel. Sometimes I have venture capitalists come to my office and they, they want me to you know, think about how great it would be and they tell me about all this money that could be made. I'm like, I already have everything that I want. They find this hard to believe. I said, be, well, because my wants are very small. My wants are actually, you know, I do nano. My wants are nano. <laughs> They're, they're very small. And, and I have everything that I want. There is nothing that I want. I'm so hard to buy a gift for. You know, so people call up to me, what, what can I get Dr. Tour? What does he want? I don't know. He doesn't want anything. What, doesn't he talk about wanting something? No. Then the, there's nothing that I want that I don't already have. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Imagine having a relationship with God where that so far supersedes everything that the real wants are gone. This is what he's talking about. There's this amazing place of peace. And so when I tell this to these venture capitalists, it's like, there's nothing that they can, they, they can share with me anymore. Well, don't, don't you want a nicer car? I said, No. No, I have, I have a good car. I really like my car. I really like my car. It's not fancy, but it's reliable. It does everything it needed to do. It doesn't break down. It's a newer car. I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. I own my car. I'm fine. I own my house. I'm fine. I don't need a bigger house. If anything, I need a smaller house, actually. Well, my kids, they're gone. We got it when the, we had a lot of kids running around. I, I shall not want. He puts us in a place of contentment. You can have this. You can have this. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. I remember this verse particularly came, reminds me of a time I started as an assistant professor when I was 28 years old. So I felt like I was just a kid and all of a sudden I had all these people working for me and I was running this research program. And I, I had all this pressure and I remember the department had a had a department picnic and it was by this river and there was this grass. And I said to Shireen, I'm just going to lie down here and take a nap. And I remember lying down I, and I, this verse came back to me. He makes me lie down in green pastures and, I, and he leads me beside the quiet waters. And there was this water going by. I said, Lord, thank you in the midst of this pressure for giving me peace. This is the scriptures coming alive in my life. You know, sometimes... You, you'll, you'll notice one day when you have a little kid, sometimes a little kid will get all riled up and they're just, you know, they're screaming and they're flailing and they're, and all they really need to do is sleep. 
So you put them down in their bed, and they're screaming, and, they're, and you just hold them down. You just hold them. You just apply some pressure so that they can't kick, they can't move their arms, and then they give up. And they close their eyes, and boom, they're asleep. This happens. I've done it many times. Are there parents here? Do you know what I mean? You can just push your child down and hold them down. And they stop fighting. He does this. He says, he makes me lie down. I remember there are times where I was going so hard. And then I'd have to go out and teach a Bible study some night. And and I was thinking, Lord, how am I going to do this? And then all of a sudden I started getting a fever. And I was forced to stay home and to rest. And and so our neighbors across the street, we, we lived in marriage student housing when I was a graduate student, the the Bible study was held at their house. And I remember looking out the window from from my house to their house, and everybody was going to their house. But he made me lie down. Sometimes he even allows us to get sick, to slow us down. He does this in his mercies. He does this. This is an act of mercy. This is God applying some pressure. So we say, okay, I can't get up. I can't go to work today. I need to rest. He does this sometimes. He makes me lie down. Lord, I thank you for making me lie down. You lead me beside quiet waters. I know you could bring in all sorts of analogies of sheep and shepherds. I'm not a shepherd. I don't know anything about sheep. You know, I've only seen them from a distance. But I know about life. This was not written for sheep. All right? This was written for us. It says in verse 3, He restores my soul. It is God who restores your soul. When your soul is stirred up, particularly at a time like this, particularly when finals are upon you and you have all these things, you get alone with the Lord. Take this word, open up Psalm 23, and it says, He restores my soul And look up to heaven and say, Lord, restore my soul. Lord, lead me beside the quiet waters. Restore my soul in the midst of what I'm going through. Restore my soul. What I'm sharing with you is a treasure of life. There are seasons in life when you learn how to do this. You will learn to take the word of God and say, Lord, restore my soul this morning. As I come before you, I am all stirred up within. Lord, restore my soul. This amazing sense of peace comes upon you. Why? Because you asked. You received because you asked. And your soul can be restored. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Lord, I don't know which way to go. I have these decisions before me. Lord, guide me in the paths of righteousness. Lead me in the right way, Lord. For your name's sake, lead me in the right way. Lord, I want to glorify you in life. Jesus said in John chapter 17, verse 4, He says, I have glorified you on earth by accomplishing the work that you have given me to do. That's how we glorify God. Jesus said, I glorified you on earth In John chapter 17, verse 4, 
by accomplishing the work that you've given me to do. Lord, I want to do your work. Lord, lead me in the right way. Lead me in the place that you have for me. Guide me in the, in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake, that you would be glorified. You ask God to do this, he'll do it. Most people don't do it. They're blindly just, well, let's see, well, where should I go? I don't know. I, I'll ask my friends. They'll know. Ask God. Ask God for clarity. Ask the Lord. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You can ask people that you can get opinions and everything, but take it before the Lord. If you would take these decisions before the Lord, I guarantee you things will go much better in life. Lord, say, say, Lord, I got all these doors open to me. What's the door? What do I go through? And then just wait before the Lord and He will give you a sense of peace with the right direction. The Bible says where the Lord is, there is liberty. He gives you this sense of peace. He gives you a sense of peace when you pray to Him. Lord, what's the right way to go? He guides me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. He wants to glorify Himself through you. For His name's sake, He does this. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. So He acknowledges life is full of these things where you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I don't know if you get stressed out with finals like I used to get stressed out. I don't know if that happens to you. Maybe you're just like one of those people that doesn't bother them. That's not too bad. I don't know. Maybe you're like that. I was never like that. I felt that I had to study more than anybody else. I felt everybody else was like studying chemistry since kindergarten. And I was just a regular person. I learned chemistry in college. And everybody knew all of these things. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. When you go into the valleys of the shadow of death and they will come in your life, they will come in your life. You will lose a parent. You will lose a sibling. You will lose a loved one. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, Lord, I'm in the valley of the shadow of death. Deliver me from fear. Deliver me from fear. You take this word of God and say it over yourself. I fear no evil for you are with me. I fear no evil for you are with me. This is what meditation on the Word of God is. There are more scripture texts that talk about meditating on God's Word than about reading God's Word. We are commanded to meditate upon His Word. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, Psalm 1, Psalm 112. We are told to meditate upon His Word. The Word of God is to be our meditation. Psalm 119, verse 97 through 100. We are to meditate upon His Word. I fear no evil, for you are with me. Take the Word of God and place it in your life. Let the Good Shepherd speak into your life. And the, the, the odd thing is that most believers never give any time to the shepherd. It's okay, I'll handle this. It's cool. I'll handle this. Fine. It's okay. God never forces Himself upon us. He's a good shepherd. 
He never forces Himself upon us. But if we're prepared to allow Him to speak into our lives, He'll do it. Verse 5, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You've anointed my head with oil, and my cup overflows. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I took this verse, 5, when I was in graduate school. I was working on the synthesis of a small natural product and uh, uh, using a particular route and, and, and using a particular methodology. Then we had a visitor to the university. And uh, this visitor told my boss, oh, such and such a professor is making the same natural product by a, a very similar route. Now that professor, Laszlo will know him, Leo Paquette. I mean, this guy was a big name, and I was just a little peon graduate student. This was a big name guy. I mean, this guy, you know, made natural products in his sleep. And, <laughs> and, uh, and so his group was working on this. And I was like, oh no, we're going by the same route. And I took this verse, Lord, prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. <laughs> prepare this table before me. You think, oh, that's not benevolent. None of this benevolent stuff. This verse was for me. He was my enemy now. <laughs> you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And we beat them. <laughs> we beat them out. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And I have taken this verse many times. When all of this competition in life comes against you, I mean, life deals out a lot of competition. You can say, don't worry, I, I, I want to handle this on my own. Fine. Handle it on your own. You know, the world is a tough taskmaster. There's a lot of smart people out there that you'll be vying against. Lord, prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Prepare this table. I saw seasons in my career. 30 years I've been a professor. I saw seasons where where funding got very tight for everyone. And people's research programs were drying up. And I said, Lord, prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And He always would provide for us. He always provided for us. He prepared a table before me. Take that, think of that image. Your enemies are all around you. You know, they've got knives and guns and foaming from the mouth. God says, sit down. Table goes out. Puts out a, a tablecloth. I learned that from Shireen. I never used tablecloths until I got married. I always felt they were, they were superfluous. You didn't need a tablecloth. It's a tablecloth. Puts out a tablecloth. Puts down fine china. No paper cups. He says, sit down. And your enemies are around you. Really upset. There's going to come times in your life where this image is going to be the image that lifts you up and protects you. That in the midst of your enemies, he's preparing a table before you. Sit down. Don't worry. There's an angel that's holding each one of them back by the neck. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. This is what the good shepherd does. He said in Hebrews, the good shepherd, the shepherd, the great shepherd of the sheep. This is the shepherd that we have. 
You've anointed my head with oil and my cup overflows. You've anointed my head with oil. I know this doesn't do anything for us in our culture, but, but uh, in my wife's culture, oil on the head is a big thing. And they, they pour warm oil on the head and they just massage it on the scalp and people just sit there and they love it. That's not attractive to me, but I can understand there are things, different things for different cultures. And, and they just massage their scalp with that, that warm oil. It's a big thing in, in, in the Bible. I mean, those people liked it too in that culture. You've anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. So many times I have had abundance when everything else was drying up. It says in, in Psalm 1 that if you meditate on the Word of God, He will make you like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither and what, in whatever you do, you prosper. So you're going to be like a tree planted by streams of water where your fruit is not going to wither. Everybody around you, things might be withering. The promise of the Word of God is, my cup overflows. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean monetary things. It is a sense of life. It is a victory in life in the midst of all the pains, in the midst of the valley of death. My cup overflows. My cup overflows Verse, verse uh, 6, Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I knew a man, he had two big dogs. He named them goodness and loving kindness. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. Look what he's calling upon himself. Goodness and loving kindness. He's calling it surely goodness. That is what we are to do. Even in the midst where things are coming at us, you take this word and you proclaim it over yourself. Because it's the word of God. This is what he's given it to us for. This was not written for sheep. It was written for you. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. In the midst of the valley of the shadow of death. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. Lord, bring goodness. In the midst of this pressure, Lord, bring goodness. Lord, bring loving kindness. Make me different than people of the world. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I will forever be in your house. This is a precious promise. I have seen many believers in my life seen many young people. I've worked with young people since I was a young person. I, I never stopped working with young people. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I've seen young people, even believers, come and go. Some drift away. You give them 10 years out of college and there's nothing. They're nothing like what they were like in college. The things of the world have encroached upon them. The pressures of the world. And they gave up this thing of meditating on the scriptures. Oh, how archaic, how silly. And little by little, they drifted away. They weren't dwelling in his house anymore. You take this word and you call it upon yourself. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. One of my greatest fears 
is that I will walk away from the Lord, that I will slowly drift away. Not intentionally say, wake up in the morning and say, I'm tired of being a Christian. I think I'll just stop. No, I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about becoming lethargic in my faith. I need to proclaim this. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It is an intentional thing. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Why? Because I can leave this house. God will allow me to leave. If I choose to go my own way, I can go my own way. Won't lose my salvation, but it'll be hell on earth while I'm here. I have to intentionally say, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see the intent here? You see the intent in Psalm 23, how he finalizes it. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There will be different phases in your life where as good as your marriage is, or as good as you think it's going to be, there'll be rocky seasons. You go into this with intent. So when we went through the difficult times, never was there a question in my life or in Shireen's life that we were going to get divorced. Divorce was never an option for us. So we were either going to have to live together in war or live together in peace. And it's much better to live together in peace. So we were going to work the thing out. And we didn't always work it out on our own. We got counseling and we worked it out. And you go through other things happen and there's seasons and you get more help. And if you go in with the intent that divorce for us is not an option. It's not an option. We are going to make this thing work. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I will make this marriage work. And I would always tell my children that there's going to be things that are going to happen in your life and in our lives, but I want you to remember something. You are my child, and that cannot change. And because of that, I will always love you. There may be things that I don't approve of, but the love will never change. You are my child. I will always love you. Life is about walking with intention, with purpose. I will always love you. My marriage, I will always, always be your husband. Until death do we part. You go in with intent and with purpose. And you don't let this thing be threatened because there's many things that will come in. And you talk to people that have been married for decades. And you say, have you ever had seasons where you were like, this just isn't going to work? Be, oh yeah, I mean, we've had these seasons. Now I've met a couple of people that they never argued. I have. And, and they're like superheroes. They're not real. They're like Spock. I mean, you can poke them. They're, 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 they're pseudo-real. They're, they're... But regular people don't always get along. But you work the thing out. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I will forever, Lord, seek your face. I will do this. You mean more to me than my career. You mean more to me than my job. You mean more to me than this house. 
Lord, I will seek your face. Lord, walking in your way, walking in honesty, means more to me than the things of this world. You, you go through life with a purpose of intent. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Lord, I will never leave your feet. This is what it is to walk with the good shepherd, the great shepherd of the sheep who has risen from the dead. This is the one with whom we walk. And we work these things out because we dwell in the house of the Lord forever by intent. We don't have to. We can choose to go. But if we choose to dwell in his house, these are the things that we share. This is what he showers in upon us when we make a decision to dwell in his house forever. Make this your meditation. Learn how to pick up the word of God and make it your meditation. What I'm sharing with you is a treasure. This is an absolute treasure worth more than I could ever give you in anything else. It's this word to learn how to take the word of God and make it your treasure. We're going to close with Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 32. And we're going to start reading from verse 45. When Moses had finished speaking all these words to all Israel, he said to them, Take to your heart all the words with which I am warning you today. You should command your sons to observe, which you should command your sons to observe carefully, even all the words of this law. For it is not an idle word for you. Indeed, it is your life. And by this word, you will prolong your days in the land which you are about to cross the Jordan to possess. So he says to them, these words that I've spoken to you, this is how he ended his life. This is in the end. What's the last words that that Moses is going to say to the people? After he'd finished, finished speaking everything, what's the last words that you're going to say? If somebody goes and they do all these years of research, and then the professor stands up and introduces them just before they give their final defense. And I always want to hear, what are the words that the professor is going to say over this student after four years? This is after 40 years. This is 10 PhDs worth of training. This is the last word. This is how we summarize the whole thing. Take to your heart all the words with which I am warning you today, which you shall command your sons to observe carefully, even all the words of this law, for it is not an idle word for you, Indeed, it is your life. The words that I've shared with you today are life. It is life itself. Take hold of these words. These are the scriptures, the very words of life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray for these young people and especially these ones as they go into finals week, that they would learn to take the word of God and to intentionally make it their meditation and call it down upon themselves and call your word down upon themselves. That they would make a decision to dwell in the house of the Lord forever with intent. Father, I pray for those here who do not know you, that they would make a decision this day 
to follow Jesus. Father, call them, I pray, to follow Jesus, that they would follow you this day. To all who believe in you, there is salvation. For all the prophets bore witness that whoever believes on the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. Father, I pray that you'd bring them into belief in the Lord Jesus Christ and save them, Lord. And Father, for those here who are going through the struggles that life deals out, the blows that life can deal out, Father, I pray that they would make a decision to stand firm, that they would not give up, that they would make a decision about life. Father, for those struggling in marriage, Lord, I pray that they would choose life. They would choose to make this work. Father, I pray you give them strength to call upon your word and in that be strengthened, to be strengthened by calling the word of God down upon themselves, to proclaim your word upon themselves and upon their marriage and upon their children. Lord, your mercies be there for the grace of God and for the glory of God. I commit these young people to you. In Jesus' name, amen.